Yeah, we have a wonderful guest speaker. We're going to continue the trifecta, the one, two, three punch of speakers here at this retreat. And I just want to invite um, our staff, executive staff, that is, um, our amazing brother, Matt Walker. So let's just give him a warm welcome. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. So, so did everyone wake up when there was lightning and thunder last night? Because that was amazing. And so, so for those who didn't sleep well, did you hear it? Yeah? All right. Because when I woke up, I just got the enormous sense that God was saying, breakthrough is here. And I was talking with Pastor John this morning, and uh, we were talking about the uh, thunderstorm, and it never, like, there's never a thunderstorm in Seoul. Like, in the past, like, four years that I've lived in Seoul, I can probably say that there was one thunderstorm. Like, it rains, but there's never thunder and lightning. And so I feel like God was really trying to tell us that there was breakthrough coming. Yeah. And so... Who's alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic, ready to hear the word of God this morning? Wow. Everyone is. Wow. I don't need to wake you guys up at all. So, all right. So just a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago, and uh, I went to the University of Illinois, and I graduated from there, and then I came, and I did my master's at Yonsei, and I studied popular culture of Korea. And so pretty much while everyone else was like writing their thesis and diving through news records and uh, about different protests or historical texts, it meant I got to watch Big Bang videos and Son Yoshide. So, um, and so throughout, uh, I spent most of my life, um, you know, kind of moderate Christian. And so uh, I was raised in the Lutheran church and they didn't really teach, they taught me about God but I never knew who God was. And so, but then uh, during high school, uh, God saved me from the brink of death in a very dramatic way. And, um, and then he, in that moment, he just told me to get up and go. And so at the time, I, you know, as I'm dying, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but um, it's just really that promise that God gave me in that moment that I could be up here today. And so, um, before I get started, let's just uh, bow our heads in another word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for just your goodness. Uh, That, Lord, you are a God who saves, you are a God who heals. And, Lord, just as you brought, Lord, that thunderstorm last night to show us that breakthrough is coming, O Heavenly Father, we ready our hearts for the breakthrough that, Lord, is here. Because breakthrough is here. We do not need to go searching for it. We don't need to search or work for it, Lord, because it is here. And so, Lord, we are ready to receive. And, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would just ready our hearts and you would just, uh, Lord, use me to just convey your heart, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can all turn your Bibles to Romans eight fourteen through 16. All right. right. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV today. So, 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Amen. And so here we're able to see that uh, that there is a spirit of adoption, which is the Holy Spirit, because it's a capital S, and there's a spirit of slavery. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about someone in the Bible who knows uh, a lot about slavery, and that's Moses. And so, if you can all kind of just come along with me, we're going to take a journey and look at what Moses, what Moses' life was like. And so, uh, in, if we go all the way back to Exodus 1, we see that Moses was tossed out because of the law that was going on in the land uh his mother did not want to kill him or have him killed because pharaoh had decreed that all the hebrew babies be uh the male babies be killed she threw him into the river and then he was drawn out he was that's what moses sounds very close to in the hebrew is to be drawn out and so it was pharaoh's daughter that Uh, found him amongst the reeds in the river. And Moses grew up in the palace with Pharaoh, with all the other Egyptians. And then he had this moment where he was out in the streets one day and he sees this Hebrew getting uh, beaten. And so his heart cried out. And so what did he do? He murdered that Egyptian that was uh, harassing that Hebrew. And so then the next day uh, he goes back out and that same Hebrew, he said something and that same Hebrew said, you're the man who killed that Egyptian. Who the heck are you? And so Moses thought no one had seen that. And so he ran and he hid himself in the wilderness. And then something happened is one day he saw a burning bush. He's like, that's not normal. And so, so then what happened in that moment was he encountered God. And so um, just kind of looking at Moses' life was he was someone who the orphan spirit, the spirit of the anti, the anti spirit of, a, of sonship, like the, whatever opposes sonship, because if you're a son, then you're in a family. If you're an orphan, you're not in a family. So the two of them, Moses had an orphan spirit because he was abandoned. He was tossed out. It's not that he, you know, when he grew up to be 20, he was like, oh, my mom wanted to keep me because, you know, like, but instead, so she just threw me in the river. Like he was probably dealing with the fact that he was tossed out. He probably never met his actual mother, because the uh, scriptures never really say anything like that. And so, and then Moses grew up in the palace. He grew up in the palace where 
there were Egyptians all around him. And so it'd almost be like Marcus and I growing up in a room like this. <laughs> we don't necessarily belong here <laughs> because we stick out like sore thumbs. <laughs> okay, Marcus, we'll say that you blend in. <laughs> and so for, for Moses, he was probably dealing with all of these things because, you know, the, the Egyptians around him were not like him. His entire people were slaves. Yet he was in the place of royalty. And then he, he probably suffered so much rejection from those people. Even though he grew up in the household, he probably suffered the rejection from the other uh, Egyptians. Who are you, a Hebrew, that lives with Pharaoh? All the other Hebrews are slaves. But then one day, Moses is walking around and then he sees oppression for his people. And his heart burns and he says, I'm going to get justice. And then he gets justice and then he comes back the next day and he is betrayed by his people. He says, they are, they, he's told that he is just not wanted. Who are you that you come here and you think that you're so high and mighty to save us? And so what does he do? He runs. He says, all right, fine. The, it, my parents didn't want me. The Egyptians won't have me. My people will not accept me. I'm leaving. Peace out, y'all. And so then he's he's tending some sheep. You know, yeah. Like so like like he's like, you know what? Peep people are not where it's at. I'm gonna get me some sheep. I'm gonna get me a woman, get me some sheep, have some children, and have some nice, you know, like kebabs. Nice lamb kebabs for dinner. <clears throat> and, so, and so then one day, what happens? God broke in. God broke into his life, and Moses was not ready to receive it. Because God saw the burning, burning bush. He came to the burning bush. He's like, okay, apparently you are God because, you know, this doesn't happen every day. And God says, all right, I have chosen you to go back to your people and to deliver them out of the Egyptians. And he said, what? <laughs> he said, who am I that you would use me? I can't speak. I can't do great things. Like, who am I that Pharaoh would listen to me? He knows who I was. He knows that I'm that Hebrew boy that grew up in the palace. I'm not better than any of the rest of them. I'm just a slave boy to him. And so he took everything people said about him and he made it his identity. And he said, you know what? I'm, go I'm just going to be discouraged. God, you say I'm this? No, I'm going to discourage myself and allow myself to believe these things. And so it was in that encounter, though, because God wouldn't let him just, you know, walk away because God doesn't do that. And so God's like, you know what? Let's, let's make a deal. You know what? That dude, Aaron, your brother, he's coming along. So, you know what? I'll use him as my mouthpiece and you just go along and, you know, we'll kind of do some things together. And so then 
it wasn't when we kind of fast forward to when Moses goes to Pharaoh, does Aaron do any speaking? Does Moses go and say, yo, Aaron, um, God said to say this, and so can you tell Pharaoh that? And then I'm just going to throw down the staff and have it eat the other one. Like, no. Who was the person that spoke directly to Pharaoh? It was Moses. And so we can see that there was a transformation that happened between the burning bush and between the moment when Moses came into the presence of Pharaoh. And what it, was it that spawned that difference, that change? Well, did Moses find himself in the burning bush? Did he, in the burning bush, was, the, was there an image of him that reflected? And he was like, oh, that's who I am. No. In the burning bush was God. And when Moses found God, it didn't matter about him. Because he knew who God was. He did not need to find himself. He did not need to validate himself. Because he knew who God was. And so, God, in that moment, he said, All right, you were named Moses. Which means to draw out. And so, you know what? I have chosen you because I have drawn you out. I drew you out of the Hebrews and I put you in the palace. And you went into the wilderness, and I will draw you out of the wilderness, and I will make you their deliverer. And so, just as he was drawn out of the river, God drew him out of the wilderness. And this is, this is because God wanted to use Moses as a forerunner for sonship. Because God could have used any Hebrew that was already in Egypt. He could have risen him up and then made him some mighty dude and then brought them out of Egypt with that guy. We'll call him Joe. And so God could have used Joe to bring all the Israelites out of Egypt and take them into the promised land. But God could not have done that. Because you see, Joe was a slave. And no matter what God was going to do to him, he was in that position of slave. He, you know, because you, you have those people who have influence. You know, those people who, you know, around you. And then, you know, they, they're like, you know what? I'm not going to do, do this anymore. I'm sick of making bricks. You know what? I, I'm done. And so then, you know, people start to listen. But the thing about Joe is that he's still a slave. Was Moses ever a slave? He was never a physical slave. He was never owned by anyone. And so God said, you know what? In order to spread sonship to a people, I must draw you out and make you a son first so that I can make an entire nation of people sons. And so that is exactly what God did. And so... The first thing God had to do, though, was set Moses free. Because Moses, while he was never a slave to someone, he was a slave to fear. He was a slave to fear because he could not allow himself to be used. 
He was afraid that his words were not going to be adequate. He said, God, you can't use me. You cannot use me, God, because I don't speak so well. I don't speak me so well. (laughs) But God said, no, that's not who you are. He was enslaved to rejection. He was enslaved to abandonment. He said, you know what? My people didn't want me. Why are you going to send me back there? They don't want me. They rejected me. The Egyptians, you know, what are they going to, they're going to listen to me. But God said, no, that is not who you are. You are a son. You are the one who I appointed for this task. And you can do no less than great. For it says in first Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And so this is exactly what God was doing to Moses in the encounter at the burning bush. Because Moses could not have gone back to Egypt until God freed him from his fears. And this was because Moses needed to lead an entire generation, an entire nation to the promised land. And so by time... In between the burning bush and Pharaoh, God delivered Moses from fear. And then Moses went before Pharaoh, a king. And who was Moses? Moses wasn't a king. He didn't have hundreds and hundreds of people following him. He was just Moses. And so he went before Pharaoh and he said, The God of the Israelites says, Let my people go. And he, he like spoke that out. Did you, did anybody see the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston? Charleston Heston. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Let my people go. (laughs) So, but he came and he conducted himself like he was worthy to be there because he was, because he had an understanding now of who God had made him to be. But, Fast forward a little bit. God, through the plagues, lets the Israelites go. And then he kills the Egyptians. And then now they're like wandering in the desert and they're like, Oh, God, why did you bring us here to kill us? Egypt was better. And because then now God had to, he delivered a people. But they themselves were not ready to be delivered in their hearts because they said slavery is better. Slavery is better. It is not. Thank you, Janae. That is not true, (laughs) but because they were enslaved in their minds, they were enslaved by fear. They thought that God had brought them out to die, but God was like, check it over there. That's some manna. It's what we eat up in heaven. Why don't you eat it? Over there, some quail. Kill it and eat it. And then they're like, oh, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of manna. God's like, who are you? (laughs) Spoiled little children. (laughs) No. 
but it's because they were enslaved in their mind to think that it was better in Egypt where they were owned by people, where they could not even choose for themselves. And so what God did is he had to deliver an entire generation. He had to skip that generation because they could not enter the promised land because slaves cannot inherit something. Slaves cannot inherit something. It has to be a son. Because only a son can receive an inheritance. And so, back to Romans eight fourteen, It says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. To fall back into fear. And so, brothers and sisters... You do not need to fall back into fear because God has already taken you out of fear. And once you're taken out of fear, you never have to go back because God will never send you back to Egypt. He took you out of Egypt. Why would he send you back? He, he is only moving you towards the promised land. And so for me, I struggled with asthma for about eight years. And uh, when I came back to Korea, I still had asthma. For my master's, I still had asthma. And then one day, um, I was having asthma pains, and I had some people pray for me. And one of the sisters was like, you know what, Matt, you are healed. And I don't know what it was that was in me, but I was like, you know what? I am. I am not going to live with asthma for the rest of my life. I'm not going to live in fear that I am going to one day not have my inhaler and pass out on the street and then be taken to the hospital and, you know, be in a coma or something, you know, because actually that was my fear is that my lungs would not work enough that I would be fall into a coma and then I would just be in a coma for years. But <clears throat> God delivered me out of that place. And it was about a year ago that I started experiencing uh, chest pains again. And I was sharing with a brother at church, and I was like, oh, brother, can you pray for me? I'm experiencing these harsh chest pains. My asthma is coming back. And he said, no. He said, no, because God moved you from asthma. He will not take you back there. The devil is trying to make you be in fear that it came back. And once you embrace the fear, it will be done to you. And I said, no, it did not come back. This is not my asthma. This is Satan trying to trick me, and I will not fall for it. I will not fall for the schemes of Satan because God has a will for my life. And his will has already come that I be delivered from asthma. <clears throat> and so whether it's asthma or whether it's um, abandonment or rejection you don't have to go back there because for you have received the spirit of adoption as sons you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now you see, sonship and freedom are a package deal. 
most of the time. See, you can be free, but not a son, but you can't be a son without being free. Because you can be a, you can be free and you can be a hired servant. Because Abraham had 300 hired servants, but he had no sons. But God wants you to realize that freedom and sonship need to go together for you to be who he created you to be. And so in uh, Romans 8.14 or 8.15 or whichever one, I don't have the number on my paper. Um, the word for son in the Greek is technon. I, I hope that's right. Is it right, Marcus? Technon? Okay. All right. Marcus has taken Greek extensively, so I trust his pronunciation. Which this term, technon, it literally means person born of. So we, when it says you are sons of God, it says you are literally a person that was born of God. That no longer do you have to feel like you are something else, like you are, you don't belong somewhere. Why? Because you were born of God. And God, He is with you. And you are a family with everyone else who was born of God. Because it doesn't say you are a son of God. No, it, is, it says you are sons of God. You are a family. You are the body of Christ. Now, when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said in Exodus 4.22, God said, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. When God had Moses say this, the term he used was technon. So God was referring to Israel, a nation, as a son. That everyone born of Israel was to be a son of God. God's promise that of having generations and generations of sons started back then. He said, Pharaoh, this is not who they are. They are not slaves. Although you may have enslaved them, they will never be slaves. Because they are my people. And my people aren't slaves. My people are sons. <clears throat> and so, for us though, sometimes we listen to Pharaoh. We listen to the voice that comes against sonship. And so what is that voice? That voice is fear. Fear of poverty. Fear that we, if we surrender all that we have, we will not have enough. God, if I give up my dream of being a doctor, Lord, what am I going to be? But God says, if you just surrender your dream, it's gonna, I'm going to blow your mind away. For me personally, when I was in undergrad, I started my first major out my freshman year as a math education major. I wanted to be a high school math teacher. <laughs> we love you, Brian. <laughs> and so 
but then halfway through second semester, I, I kind of did it. It was more than a 180. I did like, you know, a sine cosine curve switch on my life because, I mean, I didn't simply switch from like math education to like, like elementary education or like something like, you know, within a field of education. I went from math education to East Asian languages and cultures with a focus in Korean studies. Like, like they're not even in the same college, like college of liberal arts and like college of some science. Yes. Thank you. And so for me, I, w I completely switched my life. And then everyone was asking me, my parents, my family, my friends, my church members were like, what are you doing with your life? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. And then finally I figured it out. I loved Korean culture so much. I loved studying it. I'm going to become a professor. And you know what? I'm not just going to be a professor, you know, with like really good glasses and like lots of books in my office. Like I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be the best there ever was. <laughs> and so because for me, I didn't want to be like someone who was huddled in a room just writing things. No, I wanted to be out there teaching people that what they thought about Korea, well, there was so much more. I always wanted to be pushing what we called Korean studies. But I wanted to be traveling from universities to universities giving talks. So I wanted to be traveling from nation to nation giving talks about Korea. And so finally, when I came for my master's, God said, that's not for you. And it was my, during the first semester that God spoke to me through a mentor figure in my life at the time and said, well, Matt, you, you know, you pray in tongues and you, you prophesy, like, are you, are you going to pray in tongues and prophesy over your students? I was like, uh, my, out of my flesh, I was like, Yeah. But that planted the seed for me to realize that for my life, those two couldn't come together. And it was about nine months later that God's call on my life came. He said, Matt, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so I was like, okay, um, does this mean I quit? school and I like you know go out and like become a uh, missionary or like do I have to go to seminary like you know immediately like we try to think of all the practical things that we have to do and he was like no just I wanted you to know <laughs> and so but then it took me about another nine months because I felt like oh man I wanted to be called Dr. Wachter <laughs> like my brother, my brother is actually Dr. Walker, and thank you, Judy, for putting on my uh, thank you card for my gift basket, Dr. Walker. I felt, oh, Pastor Aaron Lee, Pastor Marcus Corpening, Dr. Matthew Walker. <laughs> Anyways, so I wanted to be Dr. Walker, and I was like, oh, I had to give that up. I had to give that up. But then it took me nine months to realize I gave nothing up. I gave up control is all I gave up because God said, you know what? While you call yourself doctor, I will make you a doctor. 
I will see to it that your faith heals multitudes that are struggling with sickness and cancer and whatnot. You will heal them. That you wanted to travel the nations. Well, you will travel the nations and spread the name of Jesus Christ. And it was only once I was able to surrender my dream that I was able to come into the fullness that God had. But the fear of poverty is not the only voice that speaks to us. Also, the fear of rejection. We say, oh, if we fully surrender, if we do this, then we will be rejected. Or we fear that we will be abandoned. Or we fear that we will fail. But all of these fears are empowered by the past. Because these fears say who you were. They don't say who you are or who you will be. They say who you were. And if you come into agreement with the past, then what you are doing, and if you're saying, Lord, that's who I was. This is who I am now. Then what you are saying is because you're saying, God, you can't change me now. You can't change me for the future. Because you know what, God, that's who I was. You know, Becky was bad-mouthing me, and, you know, she was gossiping about me. And because of it, during my freshman year of college, I lost all of my friends. Lord, I can't keep friends. And, Lord, I don't know if I, if I really can. What you're doing is you're dethroning God. You dethroned God because you said, God, you can't fix me. You know, you can deliver nations. You can heal the sick. You can, you know, give a mighty prophecy about someone. But you can't change me. So, brothers and sisters, are you going to allow God? Are you going to allow yourself to rob God of His identity? Because God's not going to be phased. So, are you going to stum- Are you going to inhin- in- uh, inhibit yourself from realizing who God is, and then block yourself from then realizing who you are? Another voice that speaks against sonship is rebellion. <clears throat> And now rebellion is the opposite of submission. As when you are in submission, you're not in rebellion. Because you're... (laughs) Thank you, Rona. (laughs) And so... Thank you. I know that's deep. But, But so many people think that, oh, submission. Like we have such a negative mindset towards that word that God in this hour is probably going to pull a 180 shift in the entire body of Christ over the word submission. And he's going to remove that negative context. And he's going to say, you know what? You will become uh, submissive to my heart. Because as Pastor Aaron shared a couple weeks ago at New Philly, submission is all about knowing the heart. And so for me, I was always scared to submit to someone. Because I was, I had the fear that if I submitted to someone, that they were going to tell me something I didn't want to do. And, but for me, like, I came into submission to Pastor Aaron as the director of uh, Emmaus. I came into submission as Pastor John as my discipler. And it wasn't until I came into submission to them that I realized how freeing it can be. 
Because now I don't have to provide for myself. I don't have to be like, okay, all right, um, all right, I have to preach this message, and you know what? I have to pray for like three weeks. And then I have to like, I have to be like, oh Lord, I need a message! Like, no. Because you know what? They speak to me and they say, Matt, like God already gave you the message. And it's, and it's when they say something like that, I'm like, okay. Because I'm then free because I don't have any anxiety. I don't have to go out and try and be like, oh, I have to work for this God. I have to work for this God. Because they say, no, that's not who you are. And of course, there are the times when they have to lay the hammer. But you know what? They, they hammer in love. Because who knows that, you know, to get the lampstand of gold, you must have it be beaten gold. And so I will be a lampstand of, in the house of the Lord, full of beaten gold and shining and carrying the fire of God because of those two people. And so submission is not something that's bad. But we are in fear that it is. Jesus wasn't in fear of submission. He knew exactly who he was. Because he knew who God was. And so before God, before Jesus did anything, God said, you are my son. You are my son. And with you, I am well pleased. Jesus didn't do anything. I mean, you know, he like hung out in the temple when he was 12 and then his parents were like freaking out, like, you know. And so between birth and 30, that's all we know. That one moment when Mary like was like, oh, freaking out, like, Jesus, where are you? I was in my father's house. What? Okay, whatever, just come on. <laughs> and then, so he was a carpenter. He made things out of wood. <laughs> And he didn't, like, preach an amazing sermon and get, like, 50 people saved. And he didn't, like, go out and heal, like, a thousand people. Or, you know, he didn't go out and feed, like, the multitudes yet. He didn't do anything. Because it says in Romans, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Where in that statement does it say that you have to do something in order to be called a son of God? There's no more striving for you, Emmaus. No more striving. And see, the centurion, when Jesus came and had the centurion's servants come to him, why did the centurion have so much faith? Because the centurion knew about authority. He knew about submission. And so the voice of Pharaoh comes in fear and in rebellion. But the voice of God comes in sonship. It comes in affirming you that you are not those things. It comes in truth. Because the Pharisees tried to come to Jesus. And they tried to say, well, who are you? You say you are the son of God. You say that God is your father? Who are you? You blaspheme the name of God. And Jesus is like, I know who I am. I don't need 
you to tell me who I am. And I don't need you to tell me who you think I am. And I don't need you to say anything about me because I know who I am. And who I am, it was established in heaven. Before you even knew me, I was established in heaven. And his identity is in heaven. Just like our identity is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, do you know you have a heavenly passport? One person does. Okay. All right. All right. Yes. You have a heavenly passport. Because it says in the word that you are citizens of heaven. That the earth, you are a foreigner to this earth. Your life is but a vapor. And so you are a citizen of heaven. You have a passport. And on that passport, it will say, John Matthew Coe, citizen of heaven since 1965. Like, I don't know. That was the first number that came to my mind. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Antonio Coe, member of, citizen of heaven since 1965. Your father. All right. Antonio. <laughs> but, but that tells you who you are. You're not someone who goes around and has to struggle for something. You don't have to struggle to be liked. You don't have to struggle to be perfect. Being Christian is all about not being perfect. (laughs) I mean, if you had to be perfect to come to this retreat, no one would be here. I mean, not even the the speakers. (laughs) I mean, I mean, come on, somebody. (laughs) And so, brothers and sisters... It's just so, I just want to affirm you in just the simple truth that you are not orphans. You are not orphans. You don't, aren't people who live without family. You are not people who live without a father. Because just as Pastor Aaron shared last night, God is your father and he is your perfect father. And it is, as it says in our passage today, The spirit, we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, we get to cry out the same thing that Jesus cried out, which means that we too are sons of God. We too are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You are not someone who has to beg for a father. You are not someone who has to beg for friends. You have it. You need to realize you have it. And I want to affirm you saying that not to listen to the voice of Pharaoh, to listen to the voices that come against who you are, but listen to the one voice that tells you who you are. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. See, the orphan spirit, it produces things like rebellion, fear, and performance-based identity. You, You feel like you have to manipulate situations so you don't have, so you don't get hurt. But 
that is not who you are. Because it says in Corinthians, second Corinth or first Corinthians six, that don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither will the homosexuals or the prostitutes or those that practice witchcraft. But don't you know that those were the things that some of you were? But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the same name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so, brothers and sisters, if you feel like you are living with a with an orphan spirit, like you don't know what it's like to be a son, and you are living with fear, and you have made slave uh, fear your master, and you are ruled over by fears and rebellion and manipulation, then I invite you to just stand up. Because you know what? Those things are not who you are. And we are going to... I'm just going to pray for you guys. And I'm just going to pray just breaking those things off of your life and affirming the person that you really are. And so brothers and sisters, if you feel like that's you, then I just encourage you to stand up. thank you that we are sons. Sons who do not need to strive for anything, Lord. Lord, we are sons. We are not hired servants. We are sons who freely receive. And Lord, as we have received, O Heavenly Father, Lord, we cry out, Abba, Abba, and we say, Lord, you are our Father. And Lord, when we found you, Lord, it wasn't that we found something to define us but we found the one who calls us who we are we are not self-defined Christians we are sons of God and so Lord I just thank you that Lord we no longer live in Egypt I thank you Lord that we no longer live in Egypt because Lord you took us out of Egypt and Lord, while we may have had a season and we might still be in a season of going through uh, purification in the desert, Lord, we are no longer in Egypt. You have made us free. And Lord, we are walking towards greater and greater sonship in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray that that truth is established in each of our hearts. That Lord, we would not be beggars for a father. We would not be people who are begging for someone to give us the love of a father, but we would be people who see that we have a father, a great father in heaven. No matter 
you know, how many mentors or how many friends or our parents have failed us, Lord. We will not hold you to that standard. Yes, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray, declaring freedom for everyone in this room, that we are not bound to slavery to fall back into fear, but we are sons by which we have received the spirit of adoption. We have received the Holy Spirit. We can hear your voice, Lord. That is who we are. And Lord, we will accept nothing less. We will not allow voices to speak to who we are. We will allow only one voice, the voice of God, to declare who we are. And so, Lord, I just thank you for the work that you are doing in all of our hearts. And Lord, I just pray that you would seal it by the work of the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy what we have done here. But, Lord, it cannot be done because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I just pray solidification of it. That these seeds will go deep. They will go deep and take root. And, Lord, they will become oaks of righteousness. To the Lord, we see the people in this room going out and establishing sonship in others. And so, Lord, I just thank you for each and every one of them. And I just thank you, Lord, that you are great and mighty. And we get to call you, Father. Oh, yeah, we get to call you, Father. Yes, in the name of your Son and our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen.